Hello, my name is Will and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, still the only podcast in the world celebrating helicopter explosions in film. Now if you watch made-for-cable movies long enough, you'll likely end up writing your will, kissing your loved ones goodbye and then starting to get very, very drunk. That's because this peculiar filmic form is obsessed by doomsday scenarios, especially ones where the Earth is faced with imminent destruction by some far-fetched natural disaster. Over the years we've seen just about every possible permutation of catastrophe, from tornadoes, floods and earthquakes to brimming volcanoes, there isn't an apocalyptic setup that hasn't been exploited to instill some end-of-day's anxiety in the long-suffering viewer. So, having exhausted all other possibilities, the geniuses behind Absolute Zero sought inspiration from the Ice Age, and for this particular movie, camera-friendly Miami finds itself the target for an apocalyptic cold snap that threatens to extinguish life as we know it. To help me discuss the film, I've thawed out two men from the fridge-freezer of film criticism. My guests today are Jason and Nolan from Your Face and The Lair of the Unwanted. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. Before we get started, would you like to uh, shamelessly promote your own website and uh, podcasting activities? Sure. I'll take the podcast. Nolan, you can do the website. Sounds good. We do the Lair of the Unwanted podcast. We cover all kinds of B-movies, bad movies, cult movies. We do it about twice a month. We have a guest on once a month, and they come on talk about a bad movie. And we play a really fun game at the end of it. And uh, that's basically it. Check out uh, The Lair over at thelairoftheunwanted.blogspot.com. That was Jason, and I am Nolan. I figured it'd be good to... so. You, the listener, can tell the difference between the two. Jason and I are two-thirds of the writers at Your Face, which you can find at www.yourfaceza.com. That's where you can find our written reviews, challenges, joint reviews, and so much more. But only for a limited time, much like civilization between the 30 degrees of either side of the equator and absolute zero, um, (laughs) we are soon to be extinct uh, as we are wrapping up uh, operations of your face at the end of the year. So run, don't walk, and uh, when you're done listening to the show, check out your face while you still can. Thanks, guys. I'd recommend everyone listening to go and check out the website and definitely go and check out the podcast. The uh, episode that we did, Skyscraper, was a, was a real blast to do. <laughs> that was, that, that was, was fantastic. That was like, <laughs> everyone loves that episode mainly just because of Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're not familiar with Skyscraper, it is the world's worst diehard ripoff with Anna Nicole Smith in the Bruce Willis role, and the execution of it is as bad as that idea sounds. So, uh, yeah, go and if you want to hear more about it, uh, then go over and uh, check out that podcast that we uh, we all took part in. But before we uh, start picking over the bones of Absolute Zero, have either of you seen anything interesting lately that you want to share with us? On uh, Your Face, uh, the previously mentioned Your Face, I have a series of reviews that I've been doing, and I don't know if I'll be doing any more, but I call them uh, Is It Really That Bad?, where I take a look at a really, really much universally hated movie and find out for myself if it deserves to be that universally hated. And the latest one that I did of this was the 2015 cinematic flop of Pixels starring Adam Sandler, where I find out if that movie is really that bad. Do you guys want to know if it's really that bad? I'm thinking if it's got Adam Sandler in, it really is that bad. Honestly, it's not that bad. (laughs) Oh, man. 
I know I hear you, Will. I absolutely hear you. I understand. I kind of went in with that attitude because lately Adam Sandler has just been like producing nothing but turds. And I, I understand your thought. However, overall, the movie. It, OK, first of all, it was not like that great. Like, I'm not saying it's the greatest movie ever. It just wasn't bad. The story was good. The story was interesting. The graphics was fantastic, was phenomenal. The action scenes were great. There were actually a few jokes in there that I actually laughed at. But overall, I really don't understand where the hate came from on this movie. I don't know what it was about this movie because it is like the perfect popcorn summer blockbuster movie. But, like, everyone hated this movie, and I don't understand why. I'm guessing it has to do with Adam Sandler, which I think is a little unfair, because I think they should have gave it a shot and saw for themselves that it really wasn't that bad. Well, you know what? I'm just going to take your word for it, because I'm so never going to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine. I guess I can't... I, I'm not here to, like, try to convince you or speak the gospel <laughs> of pixels or anything. But if you come across it on TV, just kind of give it a watch, just for, like, ten minutes. And then just, just see. Okay, well, I'll give it ten minutes. If it hasn't sold itself on me by then, I'm, I'm going to check out without any apology. Fair enough. Nolan, do you want to mention anything? I do. I have, uh, since we announced that we're wrapping up the web, the website, I've taken my reviews in a different direction and just doing anything that I've ever really wanted to do or anything that's jumped out at me. So it gave me a chance to go and write lavish tongue baths for Shaun of the Dead and Rick and Morty. I got to dive into Scooby-Doo and Kiss rock and roll mystery because <laughs> finally the rock band Kiss shows up in animated form and meets the gang from Scooby-Doo. Um, <laughs> and then, almost like a Christmas miracle come early, uh, Jason had challenged me to watch Trick or Treat, <laughs> and I very, anyone who's listened to even more than a handful of, you know, of our podcast knows, I detest horror anthologies. And uh, I really enjoyed that. That was pretty fantastic. I don't know anything about uh, Trick or Treat. Uh, is who's in it? What's it about? It's got Brian Cox in it. you got to go see it. Okay. Well, I will put it down on my uh, list of films to get around to at some point. So, uh, yeah, Trick or Treat is going on the list. Okay. It's time to get stuck into Absolute Zero. So let's hear an uninspiring account of the film's plot by a low-budget trailer man impersonator. For the first time in history since the Ice Age... The biggest natural disaster modern man has ever seen is about to hit Miami. They knew it was coming. We knew we'd have some disturbances, but nothing that could possibly prepare us for this. They just didn't know how soon. Within hours, everything is going to fall into complete darkness. I hope to God we're wrong. One thing must stay together to survive. One scientist must race against time to warn civilization, help keep the family alive, and save the entire planet. Base camp, can you hear me? Come in. Get in there and get them now! Erica Elena, Jeff Fahey, star in this edge of your seat, non-stop thrill ride that will leave you 
Absolute Zero was released in 2005. The plot of the film centres on a scientist who realises that the Earth's magnetic poles are about to suddenly switch, resulting in half the world being plunged into a new ice age. Naturally, no one wants to listen to his doomsday prophecy, so our heroic scientist must desperately try to persuade the world of the imminent disaster while saving his estranged girlfriend and her daughter. Absolute Zero stars Jeff Fahey, who you may remember from Silverado, The Lawnmower Man and Wyatt Earp, and Erica Elagnayek of Baywatch fame. Gentlemen, what did you make of uh, Absolute Zero? Jason, I'll throw it over to you first. Well, I should mention to your listeners, this is my second time watching this. To kind of give you like an ex- like what it's like to watch for a second time, is I think it's more exciting the first time watching it, because you don't know any of the stuff that's about to happen. Whereas the second time, you're kind of like, okay, there's the catchphrase. Okay, there's that happening. Oh, there's the bad CGI. But the first time watching it, it's like f-ing hilarious because <laughs> it's just like all like the green screen stuff is just cheesy as hell. And then the movie's catchphrase, which they said, which they said more than once. They said it like eight times is science is never wrong. It's a pretty bizarre catchphrase to have for this film, because if the science is wrong anywhere, it's in this film. There's so much, like, wonky science, it's unbelievable. I think that might have been the screenwriter's, like, excuse to, like, get around that. Like, if someone tried to, like, tell him about it, like, no, science is never wrong. The polls can switch, damn it. No, Lauren, what was your uh, take on Absolute Zero? Well, this was my first time seeing it. I actually just watched it a few hours ago, so I'm I'm still in the afterglow of the absolute zero effect. So I found it enjoyably inept. I'm still a little surprised that it's not an asylum film. This so feels like an asylum film, but just not done by the asylum. Yeah, um, it does. But yeah, I could I could also completely understand Jason's point of view because when I think back, like the, the things that made me laugh out loud, and I laughed out loud at a number of times, and not in a nice way, in that like, and it's all like due to just the general ineptitude of the filmmaking. I think I'm in a similar boat to yourself because on many levels, absolute zero, you know, the title of this film should almost be a, a reference to the rating it should have on imdb but you know this is a poor film on every level but it has enough stupid fun for me to actually sort of i did find myself enjoying uh, quite sort of large chunks of this movie and it doesn't overstay its welcome it's only 90 minutes long so there's enough there's enough kind of uh, stupid stuff going on in this film to kind of give me a, a good hour and a half of dumb entertainment so let's uh, go into some of those uh, sort of daft and dumb moments, which this uh, <laughs> this film is definitely full of uh, stupid and credulity stretching moments. What for you guys was the sort of the most, oh, come on moment in the film? The first one I could think of is like kind of right off the bat where this guy lands in Antarctica and he walks by this guy wearing a Hawaiian shirt cooking on a barbecue grill and they're like, Hey, global warming, huh? Isn't this awesome? (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, even though global warming, you know, it should be warm enough in Antarctica for you to be wearing just a Hawaiian shirt and grilling outside. And these guys are there on a sort of project to, you know, essentially investigate sort of global warming. So you wouldn't think they'd be quite so casual about the impacts of it. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, yeah, global warming, woo! (laughs) 
and, and, and then, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I meant to that that jumped out at me, and I'm I'm frantically trying to look it up right now what the what the current weather conditions are in Antarctica. Negative eighteen Fahrenheit. <laughs> like this is Aki weather, so it's not going to convert to Celsius real real nicely for me. But um, not t-shirt weather. We'll put it that way. And in a similar vein, what really surprised me was when Jeff Fahey arrives in the Arctic because he sort of gets out of this helicopter after being sort of choppered in there. He's not wearing gloves. He has got a hat on. and Everyone else is, is wrapped up like the Michelin man or everything. He just wanders <laughs> out of the helicopter. He, he, doesn't, he seems completely impervious to the elements. It's just, uh, it just you know, there's very little sort of continuity in this film. Can we talk about the, the dickhead slimy guy for a minute? That's what I call him. Or office dick, as I have him in my my notes. He's he's like the most like stereotypical stock bad movie villain in an office setting because all he cares about is just money. Like the entire movie, even like up to his spoiler alert death, it was all about the money, and everything was just like motivated by it. Like there's a scene where I guess he's the one in charge of like the Antarctica. Uh, expedition and so there's this guy down there he's like hey there's this really bad snowstorm coming in and it's gonna like kill all of us we need to evacuate and the guy's like no you need to go into that cave and get the samples that you found i need those samples right now and like he wouldn't like let them come back and so of course they die because of that and then later when jeff a he's like hey dickhead the world's gonna end in like two hours he's like no it's gonna end in 200 years and these guys are gonna give me a boatload of money he was like the most stock villain ever like he he showed up and he didn't say a word and i just said that's the bad guy yeah my my favorite oh come on moment of the film is um or sequence of the film involves him actually it's uh <laughs> late in late in the film they're all like now the weather's coming to get them you know now it's all it's all happening so all our main characters go back to the lab in miami because there's stuff there i don't know <laughs> it's, it's 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 closer than going someplace that'll be warm i don't i don't get it i think it's the only location they've got to film in probably so now the office dick is still there and he's got a helicopter scheduled to come pick him up from the from the helicopter pad on the top of the building <laughs> so he's like yeah 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 whatever storm and he gets in the elevator and he starts going up to go to the helicopter pad and the, ele- the power gets cut and the elevator gets stuck and there's other characters running around, but Erica Elanik, is that how you pronounce her last name? I think so, yeah. And her daughter are there, and they hear him in the hel- in the elevator. So she's like, I gotta go save him. And there's about ten minutes, you know, cutting back and forth between Jeff Fahey and some of the other characters of, like, her trying to save him, and he's in the elevator just berating her. <laughs> like, come on! What's taking you so damn long? I've got a helicopter to catch. And, and then after a while, I'm like, oh, look out, here he goes. I've got a helicopter up there. Let's move it. You're taking so long. Like, he just... And she's like, you're so rude! And she's yeah. Trying to yeah, I love the little girl there in that part. She's like, the rude man! Yeah. Um, I got one more... Oh, come on moment, and then we can move on. It's, uh, this, like, 
you know, kind of like stuff in between the action, quote unquote, where Jeff Fahey, he has to team up with an old friend of his to find out if science is ever wrong or not. So it's discovered that the friend is now married to Jeff Fahey's like ex-girlfriend. And so once they introduced that, I was like, okay, I'm going to write the rest of this movie without having to see it. The friend's going to die somehow, and <laughs> Jeff Fahey and the girl's going to get together. And then there was a scene when it was revealed they had a daughter. Jeff Fahey goes, so how old is she? Like eight or nine, right? And then she was like, yeah, we've been broke up for ten years. And so he's like, do you can see him like doing math in his head. <laughs> <laughs> but then like, that never really comes up again. <laughs> That was a that was a really bizarre scene. They because they seem to be sort of going in a direction with that, but then they never really resolve it. Right. Uh, it was it was so strange. It was so strange. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was waiting for like a reveal to be like that's really your daughter, or but like no, they didn't do any of that. Like they 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 were going to, I suppose, but then I don't know the drugs kicked in or something. I don't know. So we started to talk about some of the actors who are in this film and the sort of the two most recognisable faces in this are Jeff Fahey and uh, Erica Elenayek. Uh, how do you think they acquitted themselves here? You know what? They're fine. You know, the, what they're doing is not going to win any awards, but they didn't embarrass themselves. They were fine. Um, I think this is my, my exact thoughts. I think Jeff Fahey was slumming it in this movie and I think Erica Elenayek was too good for this movie okay in what way do you think jeff fahey was sort of slumming it because he's not a stranger to this sort of film is he so what, what makes you think he was slumming it here well okay you, you said it in your intro in that like you listed all the movies he's in he was in he was in well your opinions on lawnmower man aside you know he was in some pretty good stuff and he was on lost on top of that and i don't know I, don't, I didn't look up the year when this movie came out but he was in some like decent movies like he was like an actual like well, he was just a character actor but he was in actual decent movies and then he's in like this and like a few other movies like rip like very 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 identical movie <laughs> movies right along the same time and it was like jeff fahey what happened to your career man <laughs> but then erica Lanick. She was, like, in worse stuff than this. And I've seen one of those recently, and I cannot for the life of me think of what that movie is right now. It was, like, an action movie. You, I, you certainly are not talking about Dracula 3000, because we're going to have to fight again over that movie. <laughs> well, I was not a fan of Dracula. No, there was another movie. It was, uh, it was like, an action movie about, like, uh, like Hitman. Or, I don't remember. I can't remember if you were involved, Nolan, or not with that. I can't remember. But anyway, it, it she, you know, I, and the only notable movie she was in, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but she was also in Under Siege. She certainly was. I mean, you could have a, you could have a job recognizing her in this film, especially as she has a, still has her clothes on in here. So that may... Uh... <laughs> so Absolute Zero is a unmistakably low-budget film, and that comes through in the acting, the special effects, and just about every aspect of the production. What sort of highlighted uh, this particularly for you the most? And uh, Jason, I'll uh, I'll throw that one to you first. Probably, I'm going to say the snow, the quote-unquote snowstorm, uh, or any time there was a storm, which is just basically prop guys throwing garbage cans at people. <laughs> Which I I I I, I kind of want to do that job. That just sounds like fun. Like, okay, you're gonna take this garbage can, you're gonna throw it at that guy. Okay, 
toss. Like, that just sounds like a lot of fun to me. And then, like, the snow, like, it wasn't, it did, like, they didn't even try to, like, make it look like snow. It just looked like <laughs> someone went to, like, a shredding place and got, like, all the shredded, like, papers and then just, like, threw it on the ground. I was like, there's your snow. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. The snow, I don't know what it was made of, whether it was polystyrene or shredded paper or whatever. It was some of the most unrealistic snow I have seen in a film for, I don't know, many, many years. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking going back to something like Ice Station Zebra back in the sixties where they had some very unrealistic looking snow. I got two things. One is the, uh, I think I, I mentioned this earlier. It wasn't enough to have you know, this, like, big weather storms or whatever. But a few times in the film, there would be this bizarre CGI cone of cold where it would basically be, like, a column of icy blast would shoot out from the heavens and hit the ground and then just explode (laughs) air and icy air everywhere. It was very weird. Yeah. And not... Like anything that looked natural at all, and I'm not a meteorologist, but I don't think that's a that's a thing in weather. It doesn't make sense really in terms of the film because the idea of the film is that the sort of the poles are shifting, and this is going to mean that the the kind of the where the poles are and what parts of the Earth are, are cold are going to change. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be these great storms that we see throughout the film i mean that that should just mean some parts get warmer other parts get cooler that there's no reason why that should translate into these great sort of tornadoes or uh or cones of cold as you call them uh appearing well, suddenly they don't behave like tornadoes do they they just shoot down from the heavens and just you know cause carnage yeah while we're on that subject Nothing about this film makes sense. The whole thing that, that Jeff Fahey starts running around with is that everything between 30 degrees and the equator on either side of the equator is going to reach absolute zero. So everyone has to go north or presumably south of your south of the equator. But that doesn't make any sense. The, the, the sun is still in the same place in relation to the earth. Like, you would think then that the farther north or south, the farther you get away from the equator would be even colder, no? Am am I misunderstanding how the sun heats the Earth? No, you're right. (laughs) I think for me, my favorite uh, low-budget moment was probably these thermal suits which are called into action uh, late in the film where the uh, character the surviving characters have to go outside into the kind of incredibly sort of cold temperatures that uh, Miami is suffering at that moment and these thermal suits look they don't really look like anything I'd want to go outside in the cold in. They actually sort of look like they've been sort of left over from some sort of space shuttle movie. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, they just look like they've dragged them out of wardrobe and thought, oh, these will do. Oh, absolutely. They're definitely like the suits from Mission to Mars or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Absolute Zero is a sort of disaster movie and as anyone who is familiar with the genre will know it's always good fun to try and predict who's going to live and who is going to die who was your most unexpected or least expected death? I'm gonna be honest I didn't have any like everyone that I knew was gonna die was gonna die <laughs> like you've watched I, I too saw... many of these movies yeah that might be it I don't know I mean 
I mean, this is like the most patterned movie like you could ever see. And like, I, I knew the friend was gonna die. I knew the old guy was gonna die. I knew, of course, the slimy boss guy was gonna die. I guess if I was gonna say I was surprised by a death, I would say the geeky Mark Ruffalo looking guy. I didn't expect him to like die because him and the chick were getting along so great. And I thought for sure like they were gonna like hook up or something but then he ends up getting killed that kind of threw me off but other than that i saw like all the deaths coming like a mile away yep i've I've got a second that one i wasn't so much surprised by the the geeky grad student dying as i was by how stupidly he died oh yeah that too kind of like he's banging on they're outside in the cold they're doing some ridiculous like we've got to put on our our mars suits our mission to mars suits and walk across some guardrail to get to another door so we could go downstairs and he's banging on the door and Jeff Fahey's like, Don't bang on the door He's like, Oh, I'll bang on it harder Yeah and it explodes and knocks him <laughs> off the thing and he falls off the building. Um That was funny. <laughs> I was I was a little surprised that the the female grad student survived because these films can be pretty bloodthirsty sometimes and I figured that she wasn't <laughs> going to make it either if i had an unexpected death it wasn't so much that this character died it was how dragged out it was and and i'm talking about jeff fahey's buddy that was the lab partner that was married to uh married to uh what's her face erica yeah. atlantic um because he's presented as a is a nice guy he's his friend and he seems, by all evidence, he seems to be a good father and a good husband and a good uh, college professor and a likable guy. Yet here's the guy, more so than the office dick, that gets the dragged out prolonged death. Mm. He gets impaled by a tree. A palm tree. <laughs> a palm tree. <laughs> I was like, oh no, he's been impaled by a palm tree and they've splattered some red paint on his face. <laughs> and then he tells his daughter, like, you've got to go. And, 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 you know, so, so he saves her. And then that CGI cone of cold busts in to knock his, he's stuck in a car impaled by the tree, flip the tree, the, the, the cone of cold, flips the car over and then kicks it down the road. <laughs> Which really seemed excessive for a character that you, like, you like that character. He's a likable character. Yeah. I'm actually going to disagree with you there because he actually, and I think it's purely to justify his death in the film. I don't know if you remember, Mm. he does have some needless arguments with Erica Alaniak over, I think it's, her relationship with Jeff Fahey and it, actually it's not really it's not really her fault he, he just kind of is I don't know what he's doing he's just sort of like picking a fight and I just felt those scenes were there just really to as sort of foreshadowing really to kind of like justify his uh, his grisly death at the uh, hands of that palm tree I, I guess I, they do have that one scene where they bicker over the fact that neither of them told him that they got married yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's very like, why didn't you tell him he got married? Well, you're the one who didn't send out the wedding invite. Like, it's very, you know, it's really snippy. pointless, bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it doesn't make either of them look very good as reality. So, you know. Yeah, I thought the uh, I thought the Intersai uh, guy, the this kind of creepy douche who runs the big uh, company. I thought he had a a fairly poetic death. 
because he's uh, he's obviously been a real uh, pain in the proverbial throughout the whole film. And as we were sort of talking about, he's completely obsessed by money and he, he dies trying to sort of scoop up some uh, invoices in a, in a corridor rather than scuttling to safety. So I thought that was a, I thought that was a nicely poetic death for him. Poetic, but appropriately inane. <laughs> like, if you think about it, like he's just been through this whole experience. They go and they do their, you know, nine stories up, walk across the guardrail in their mission to Mars suits, and they run to the door, and there's this timer like when this, you know, you got three, you know, when this time hits, then we've hit absolute zero. We got to get inside the door by then. And they get there with three minutes to spare. I was like, oh, well, that was easy. And then it's like, oh, no, the office dick isn't around. So Jeff Fahey's going to go find him because reasons. I don't know. And he suddenly has kind of snapped and he's looking through the invoices and he's all like, oh. Never gonna be able to collect on this money, huh? Like, and he drags him off to the thing, and he drops the invoices, and I'm, I, I keep thinking, and he's like trying to pick him up, and you know what's gonna happen because now they're running away from the weather, which is mm-hmm. my favorite terrible, <laughs> terrible movie thing when they're running away from the weather. It, it just it made happens, me think of it, South Park. <laughs> yeah, they run away from the weather, or they run away from the sun. Like the sun is rising, run. Okay, hope that works out for you. Um, <laughs> and I kept thinking, like, it's cold. Like, you could just go and, and get the paper later, like, when it warms up again. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> but, oh, he's got to pick it all up. So, it's kind of ridiculous. Well, fits in with the rest of the film, then. Okay, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the exploding helicopter action. You are about to witness history in the making. Hi there, this is Todd from Forgotten Films, and if you spend all your time watching new releases, then you need to broaden your movie horizons. And a great way to do that is by joining me for the Forgotten Filmcast. We don't talk about the new releases, we don't even talk about the classics. We talk about the movies that time forgot. On each episode, I'm joined by another film blogger to discuss a film that may or may not be worth rediscovering. So look for the Forgotten Filmcast on iTunes, Podomatic, and wherever you find great podcasts. We're back, and now we're going to look at the exploding helicopter action. This happens towards the end of the film. Miami is rapidly plunging into a new ice age, and the few people who are left in the city are trying to abandon it by any means possible. Dr. Veet, the unscrupulous boss of Intersi, plans to escape via a helicopter from the roof of the office, but as the chopper comes in to land, it's caught in a gust of wind, and the helicopter is sent crashing into the roof of the building. Jason, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action here? I thought it was, I thought it actually went by too quick, and I'm kind of surprised there weren't more exploding helicopters in this movie, cause it just seems so ripe for it, uh, especially with all the helicopters in the beginning going to Antarctica. I mean, I guess we can make the assumption they might have exploded, I don't know. But it just like, happened so quickly, you know, you see it like taking off, and then it gets pushed by the wind, and then you don't see it, and then you just see from the roof just like, like great balls of fire just like exploding from the roof and then that's basically it. Yeah, I got to I got to second that. It's um it's as as far as movies go, it's probably one of the most subdued exploding helicopter explosions. It also probably makes it sadly one of the most realistic helicopter explosions. <laughs> um but I love the timing of it. 
because it came in right on the heels of of my favorite Oh Come On sequence, which is that guy stuck in the elevator bitching at her to go rescue him because I've got a helicopter up there waiting for me and I got to <laughs> get up there. Hurry up already. And he repeats it about a half dozen times. I got to get up there. There's a helicopter waiting for me. And I'm like, please have this thing explode when he says that. Please have this thing. And then it does. And I stood and applauded. <laughs> I was very excited. Yeah, the timing is good. But, you know, I did feel a bit cheated by this helicopter explosion because, as we've sort of already been saying, you don't really see an awful lot of it. You just see these kind of, you know, the kind of shot is uh, shot up from the ground towards the top of the building. So you, you sort of, the helicopter disappears out of view obviously sort of smashing into the roof of the building and you just see these balls of fire come up and I like to see the money shot and uh, we didn't get to really see it here and although I have to say I was probably a bit relieved really because uh, given the special effects in the rest of this movie goodness knows how bad this uh, exploding helicopter would have looked if we'd seen any more of it. I certainly would have expected this to be more of the given given the quality of this film to be something more akin to a uh, like 80s Schwarzenegger action film kind of explosion where it blows up like four times over and you know <laughs> like that kind of ridiculous over the top type thing. Well, thank you guys. I think that just about wraps things up for this show. Jason Nolan, I'd just like to thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. It was a yeah. it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Although I do have to add, uh, I don't really want to thank you particularly for making me watch Absolute Zero. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my thanks can't extend that far. Don't forget, I'll be checking my web stats to make sure you visited the Exploding Helicopter website, where there are loads more reviews about films, both better and worse than Absolute Zero. Alternatively, you can tweet me or Facebook me whenever you like. We'll be back soon, but until then, keep watching the skies for those Exploding Helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.